Byron Ra. I am the Southwest Regional Director of American Atheists. Christians claim that the Bible, not just Christians, but most major denominations have their holy book, their holy scriptures, and they claim that it's inspired somehow. Somehow it's infallible or... Um, except the parts that aren't. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> it's literal except where it's metaphorical, and you have to have the spirit show you which is which. Yeah. So what's the problem then um, when you have a holy Bible? Hold, hold that, hold that. <laughs> I actually made a discovery. This is a great prop. I should have brought it out. Yeah. Look at that. It looks well bedraggled, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is just in a cupboard over there. What a King James Version, right? Sweet. And it's already highlighted with yeah. stuff I wouldn't care about, almost certainly. So what makes the truth in the Bible like this, something that makes somebody's reality, a preacher's reality, somebody that has dedicated their life to studying this, um, why isn't this true? Because you can't show that it's true. Explain. Okay, the truth is what the facts are, right? You can take the facts of the story. The, 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 you can say that the story says this or that. Okay, that's a fact. Within the story, it says this or that. We can do the same thing with Aesop's fables. But this is asserting that it's true beyond the story. So now we need facts to back it up. Now, people, the best that people will come up with is say, well, you, did you know that they found Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, let's say they did. Uh, usually, fictional stories will occur in real places. Not always. There's Wakanda. There's Metropolis. You know, it happens. But usually, fictional stories happen in real places. And they also found tr the city of Troy. Archaeologists found Troy. But that doesn't mean that Hellenism is the true religion. It doesn't verify the existence of Zeus. right? So we need something more than that. They may say all kinds of interpretations about what they think the Bible is, but when they say that the Bible is truth and there's not one word of it that you can show to be true, I mean, none of it, we know that the, the Tower of Babel didn't happen. We know what really did happen and that it was, a, it was not just an exaggeration. It was a complete metaphorical analysis. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, so direct, it's so detracted from what actually happened that it's not even a version of what actually happened. It's just, you could reverse analyze it to say, well, it could be a metaphor of this other event. Uh, the global flood of Noah did not happen. We know what did happen. We know when it happened. We know where it happened. And we see all of the stories in the surrounding areas that reflect what happened there then. And then that was a thousand years before the version that appears in here. And it was written by the grandfathers of the people who wrote this. So there's only one interpretation possible. If the original is a thousand years old and written by the same people, that's the original version. This is the exaggeration. And the, the Adam and Eve story, it's not just we know the collection of myths that that came from, but we know that the, the, there was never a tree of life, a tree of knowledge of good and evil, that if you eat the tree of life, you'll live forever. If you can eat the, eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that you'll, you'll, you'll suddenly know. You know it, there were not trees. It's a common parable where you read this book and, and several places throughout it'll bring up the fruit of, which means the result of your actions. Everywhere else except Genesis, it means the result of your actions. Some reason in Genesis, 
it has to be a literal tree that you chop down and build a canoe out of. That's, that's absurd. We know that the story was metaphorical and people are basing their lives on convincing themselves that this is true when it isn't and calling it the absolute truth when there's absolutely no truth to it. At best, a couple of the characters may have lived in different forms that are represented here. You might have had a Solomon, you might have had a, have had a David. There's no verification on, on most of the characters you should have had clear documentation for. Maybe you have a single artifact that says that somebody with that name existed. Maybe you've got that. But the stories, nothing. Nothing at all. Moses, we know, did not exist. We're not sure if Jesus existed. Because even the early church fathers, like uh, Justin Martyr, for example, he argued that Jesus pre-existed the Greek gods. Now, if this guy exists in the very early second century, and he should have known people who were old enough to have met Jesus, he lived in the right time and place for people to have met Jesus who would also have met Justin Martyr. Yet, he thinks that Jesus existed before Hercules, and that Hercules is an adaptation of the Jesus story. So when the mythicists come along and they say, well, you know what, I think this, I think this Jesus character is actually based on earlier mythology, and then we have the early church fathers backing that up. And then you have, the, there's a whole bunch of other things. I don't want to get into all the depth of mythicism right now, but I mean, I don't hold the same position as, as, uh, as a couple of other people do. Um, through their scholarship, they came to a slightly different conclusion. I think there was uh, a mixture of mythical characters and historic characters, not just one. There was not just one Jesus. It was like a handful of different ones. And if you met all of these guys, got them all in the room and told them the story about Jesus, none of them would recognize that story as being familiar. That's just that. Now that's the part where we don't know if there was a Jesus or not. We have reasons to believe that there was not. Moses, there wasn't a Moses. We know that. Ex explain that a little bit more. Why, what, are, what few reasons exist? To, uh, to indicate to us that Moses did not exist? Well, first of all, the Pharaoh is not named. So they have a collection of Pharaohs that they can choose from. And, and you it, think that was intentional with telling the story? So, yeah, you so can't. So that it wouldn't nail it down? Exactly. Okay. It's gotta be, it's gotta be vague enough. It, 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 a lot of uh, mythology is written the same way as, the, as your fortune cookie or your, your astronomy ch or astrology chart in the newspaper. I mean, it's gotta be so vague that it could blot every, every prophecy in this book is, supposed, is trying to be as vague as it possibly can be so that you can interpret. The quatrains of, of Nostradamus can, can read Hitler if you just distort everything in your mind enough. But none of it actually says that. Matter of fact, one of the most commonly cited uh, prophecies in this book uh, is how Isaiah 7 refers to the birth of Jesus by a virgin. But if you actually read Isaiah 7, he can't be talking about Jesus. He's talking about another kid with no special abilities who lived and died 700 years before Jesus. There's no way he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about a whole other series of events where the, where the child in question isn't even significant. The child in question is only being used as a timepiece, and that's it. That by the time that, you know, don't worry, king, you don't have, your enemies will not come after you because by, you know, this, this child will be born, uh, the maiden is already pregnant, and by the time that child is old enough to choose honey over curds, you will know that you're, you're at perfect peace. So that's, that's how the prophecy failed. It failed to address Jesus. Worse, it failed also because before that child was old enough to do, the, the kings or his enemies came and invaded and murdered everyone. So the prophecy failed every way that it could fail. 
And there's a whole lot of other prophecies in here, like, like, like that, that Nebuchadnezzar would take the city of Tyre. He took the land-based city, not the one on the island. It existed on both the mainland and on the island. Nebuchadnezzar never took the island. He never even got to it. Somebody else did a century later, but that's not the same thing. It was supposed to be Nebuchadnezzar. That's what the prophecy was. And Nebuchadnezzar was also supposed to take Egypt such that it was going to wipe out everybody and so that there was not one man or beast that set foot in Egypt for 40 years. That never happened. So the Bible is full of prophecies that aren't really prophecies and it's got also prophecies in it that completely failed. So why do Christians then consider this the Word of God? If it has prophecies in it, which seems to me would be the number one thing that gives them the leg up on everything else to say that this book is true prophecies if these prophecies failed why are there still christians today because they don't care what the facts are You don't have a single prophecy in here that says in this number of years or gives the exact name or anything that you could verify. I mean, it, it, except in the case, like I just said, where, where uh, I think it was Ezekiel said that Nebuchadnezzar would take Egypt. And so we now know that it's within the life of Nebuchadnezzar and that never happened. And it was not one man nor be. So there's not no, no, no exceptions. We know that this event never occurred. And the taking of the city of Tyre, we know that didn't occur. But anytime you put an expiration date or a limitation on it, then we know that it fails. The only time that the, the prophecy succeeds is when you can read every piece of it as to mean something else. So that every word now represents a different word. So that you've, written, you've rewritten everything in the prophecy. People want to hold to this because they're afraid to die, because they think that if we didn't have a purpose to be here. Now, this is no, I'm not speaking for myself. This is a philosophy other people have that is a mystery to me. I don't need life to have a meaning. I don't understand why people think it should. It doesn't make any sense. But they think that if, if we don't matter five billion years from now, if there's going to be a time when there is a last human that dies out or the planet is destroyed and our existence is eliminated from all memory, then what's the point? They start sobbing. Why even live at all? There's a defect in their philosophy that they have to think that. I don't have this need for a, for a predetermined purpose for my life or to be imposed on my life. You know, I, if, if I want my life to have a purpose, I'll give it one. Otherwise, it's not necessary. And, I, and as I said, when I look at, uh, because of you know, my view of, of paleo history and paleofauna, I look at our lives, our existence now came at the cost of billions of prior lives. And so what was the point of their existence? Was it to be a stepping stone in generations to get to us? You know, that's pretty pathetic. And when people look at uh, the very thing that they praise so much, free will, prophecy deprives you of free will. Because if you can see the future, then you can see every activity that everybody's going to do, every interpersonal relationship, and you can do this in your own life. Look back at the people you know and why you know them. Think about how you met them and the circumstances that it was. And if you change things by a minute, in very many of these cases, you'll, you'll miss that opportunity. You won't have met that person. This thing won't have happened. And so any of these little changes, if you had free will, you would have the ability to change the future. 
But if it's prophesied, then the future is as set as the past. You can't change the past. So we can talk about what happened in the past. You can't talk about what happened in the future because it hasn't happened yet if you have free will. If there's prophecy, then it has happened already and there's nothing you can do to change it. All of your inter- you can change all of your interpersonal relationships. Everybody can change all of their interpersonal relationships and be a minute late for everything or, or 10 minutes in advance or, or do everything as random as you possibly can. You're not going to change it. It's still going to be the same thing because it was already predetermined. So free will cannot exist in a Christian perspective where God already knows everything you're going to do, which also eliminates the whole thing about prayer because in Matthew 6, it says that God knows already what you're going to pray for. Why do you need to pray for it? He already knows. And why would you pray that you can get your child back when he could have stopped you from losing the child in the first place? And why doesn't he get the child back? You know, and why does he fail in so many prayers? It's just confirmation bias. It's literally every logical fallacy that has ever been employed has been used as an argument for God. And every argument for God is a logical fallacy. Look at them. Go Get on the internet and look up lists of logical fallacies and you'll recognize them. You know, there's some that may not be listed. They're like God of the gaps. God of the gaps is actually a combination of logical fallacies. But every logical fallacy on the list, you'll remember when this preacher gave you this explanation for the existence of God. So Christians believing that this is true are denying the facts or not observing that this is factually inaccurate. Uh, believe in prophecies that just didn't happen, didn't come true, or are so vague they could mean anything and, you know, therefore kind of discredit itself. Uh, Given the philosophical implications of what the Bible teaches us or what we interpret that the Bible teaches us about God, really just kind of become all these logical fallacies that you're talking about. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's actually worse than that. Because you have apologetics, which is the systematic defense of the religious position no matter what. And apologetics organizations will post publicly that they will never consider any evidence that they are wrong, that no amount of proof will ever change their minds. Why is that a bad position? Why is it a bad position to never admit when you know you're wrong? Because it's lying. And that's not just for this religion, that's for all of them.